So yes, if if they came out and said everybody that hasn't been making their mortgages payments, now you either need to, you know, get back to even, get current, or we're going to foreclose, I think that could impact the housing market. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. It is time for our state of the market. It's been a couple weeks from we were on here, and you guys have a treat. The Today, I get to talk to my brother, my brother, Matt Amuchastegui. He's an agent. He's been on the Real Estate Rockstars podcast. He's a broker up in Oregon. Matt, how long ago were you on the podcast? I think it was last year, early last year. It's been at least a year. At least a year, the it's tougher to find your name on there because if I search Amuchastegui, it shows a bunch of them. But you got interviewed by my good buddy Adam. The he was as one of our guest interviewers, and at that time, well, do you remember how many houses you were selling a month back then? I had just finished the year where I got so I got second in the in our we have an, uh, in our association. There's about 200 plus realtors, and I was number two. I was almost number one. So that was 2019, and. It was actually in 2020, I think, when he interviewed me. No, it was the end of 2019, I think. Yeah. And, you know, on average. It was December 30th, 2019. From that time, you went from zero to 14 million in revenue. And and where, and where, what are you at now? For, what are you going to hit for volume for 2021, you think? I want to be more than I was last year, which was more than 19. And so, you know, I've, I have a well, – our cousin Rob's in real estate too, and he'll, like, pick a number – and I don't necessarily like picking a number as much as I do like setting a goal. And, and I really just want to beat myself at this point, you know, and, and my goal kind of changed too, because I'm trying to build my team as well. So I don't really just want to beat. if I beat my numbers, I should be at 16, 17 million this year, maybe 18 million. Yeah. We are dealing with everything everybody else is. We have an inventory issue. So it's, there's not as many activities, but I would uh, escrow as it feels like. But then when I add everything up, the dollar amount is there. We're seeing a huge increase in price, you know, price per home that's pending has gone way up. Yeah. And it's going to be, it, it's a, it's a crazy time and a wild time. We're going to start jumping into the news. I wanted to, this first one that I, that I wanted to show was funny because this came up off of, I'm trying to see how I can share this first one as I get ready to share my screen. Well, I'll, I'll share my screen. When I get to the articles because I don't want to put any, anyone else out on, on Facebook. The first one said, this was an image from a Facebook page today from an agent down in the Austin area. Her name's Terry. The, the post that she put on there was a picture of a snapshot of the news, and it said the wood cost to build a deck. And it said using 2,400 board feet, just 200 square feet, in April of 2020, it cost 936 bucks for the lumber to build a deck. What do you think it's at now? What would you guess? I'm going to guess it's gone up 200%. 200%. So it went from 936 bucks in lumber to build a small little deck to 3,696. So it's up four times what it was a year ago, April to April for just similar lumber. So when we are talking about, I'm going to start to share my screen now for all you listeners that watch this on YouTube. So that's pretty crazy when we're looking at, uh, at those numbers. That's, that's a big part of why prices are going up. We've got, when people are saying inflation doesn't happen year, year over year, Lumber four times the cost that it used to. I'm sure that's going to impact 
stuff. So first article we see, it's pulling out a business insider. This was from just two days ago. It says Americans looking for new homes are so desperate that they're paying more for previously owned units than brand new ones for the first time in 16 years. And so the, so Matt, I don't know if you're, if you're seeing that. So that's saying, so if there's a house next to each other and there's a house built in 2000, or there's a new construction right now, people will pay more for the house that's 10 or 20 years old than they will a new construction because they don't want to wait. They don't want to wait for that new construction to be done. It said this phenomenon hasn't occurred since 2005. Do you, I don't even remember that in 2005. Doesn't that just seem crazy? It does. I mean, is it is it a finished new construction, like new newly constructed house, or is it a house that's not quite finished yet that you can buy? I mean, is it a brand new home that's finished and then similar, you know, similar size home that's, 10 years old, you know what I mean? Or are they having to put money down and still wait for the new construction home to be finished? Yeah. So I think so. there's a couple of what this article says. It says the median price for new units fell to $330,000. The price of existing single family homes rose to 334. And so they're saying the median of all the single family homes is higher than the median of all the new homes. Part of that is the timing construction delay. Because what happens if you go buy a new home right now, if they say it's a $300,000 home, you get into contract on it, but you're not going to close on it until 90 days from now, 120 yeah. days from now. By the time you do in this market, it's going to be worth 310, 320, 330. So people are saying, hey, I'll pay more now so I don't have to move. Right. And I think, you know, up here in our county, in our area, our escrows are so long right now anyways, due to title issues and appraisal issues with timeframes. We, we're not seeing escrows close any sooner than 45 days if we're lucky right now it seems like most escrows are at least 60 days anyways you know and i think our issue here is is lack of lack of new homes on the market yeah lack lack of inventory lack of new homes for the first time since 2005 the imbalance is so extraordinary americans looking for new homes are willing to pay top dollar uh, for previously owned units instead so i thought that article was really interesting first time in 15 years i thought it was the first time in history but when they say the last time it happened was in 2005 Right now, it feels a lot like the market in 2005. I guess the only difference is, well, it feels a lot like 2005, but one of the big differences is uh, inventory is what's causing it right now. And I don't think, I do not feel like uh, we're in a bubble right now. I saw a chart earlier too. It said something like, uh, you know, for however much construction was going on, you know, 2018, 2019, 2020, it was a chart showing new construction, how many new homes were getting built. And in 2020, there was 20% of the number of new homes built compared to 2019. And so when you got people wanting to move and we're no longer building new homes, that for sure is going to make a difference. The, uh, how about this next article? Another one from Business Insider, April, April 26th. Have you been watching the news much about people moving? So we've got a lot of people moving from you know, California to, to Nashville or California to Austin, Texas. A lot of people were moving from Florida to New York. But this article says, Florida isn't replacing New York after all. More Manhattanites moved to Brooklyn during the pandemic than to Florida per Bloomberg. The, so had you, have you followed any of those articles? I have seen, I've heard about the exodus, yes. And I, I've mainly seen it from California to Texas, you know, and a lot of the big names moving their corporations and stuff to Texas. But I didn't know Florida and New York had a thing yet. Yeah, so that's a, there. A bunch of people were saying in the news. So many people were moving from Florida to, or from New York to Florida. I knew a bunch of people that moved from New York to Florida. But here it says, when New York City became the epicenter of the pandemic, 
pandemic, some of the city's wealthiest fled south in a mass exodus. But a year later, the migration has turned out to be more of an urban shuffle. More people moved around from Manhattan to Brooklyn than from Manhattan to Florida. So that was, I, I wanted to share that because we've had so many different postings in the news over the last six months that were talking about those exodus and how they were changing. And that was maybe one of the more interesting ones. Here's what I I got a question for you. So what does that do to those areas? Like, so what, is, what does it do to Austin, Texas? What does it do to Texas? And what does it do to, to Florida when you have not only people looking to, to move their home there, but they also move their lifestyle, like their wants and needs, right? So um, maybe political associations or what they believe in and things like that, you know, does that eventually change what attracted, to, what attracted them to that spot in the first place, right? Like, do they bring enough of their belief systems and all that to this new place that now Florida and Texas is no longer Florida and Texas. It's just California rebuilt. So, you know, what do you think it's going to do to those areas? Yeah, there's a, there's actually one of our articles shows a little bit about um, one of the things that just changed. So this one from Business Insider from April 26 said, so many people fled New York and California for Texas and Florida that the coasts will lose power in Congress. So the South is about to get a much bigger say. So this came out just a couple of days ago after the census you know, California lost one of their congressional seats. Texas gained two and happened in a few other places. It says California, New York, and five other states will lose congressional states due to the number of people that left their state this year and went in other places. So this article shows kind of the chart. Idaho had the largest year over year increase. It grew by 2.1%. Uh, it talks about you know, Arizona, Nevada, Utah, Texas all grew. And so these shifts in population have political implications. Your, your question is so funny compared to the next article because it just says, you know, as people are moving, there becomes a shift. We saw that a little bit during election time. And there is so many times when, when people, and I think most people living in places where there's a lot of people moving there will say, I live in Austin, Texas right now. And people say it all the time as people are moving in here. Hey, we want, we want Austin to stay Austin. And I think it's going to, yeah, so when people are coming in, people bring in a lot of their beliefs as all of these uh, people move from one city to another. You know, if cities were on two different extremes, they all get morphed to more in the middle. But yeah, even the congressional seats in the U.S. are going to change based on some of those. And I thought that was really interesting that really the, the, the states that lost Congress seats were blue states. So essentially, the and where they gained Congress seats were red states. But we'll see when the election comes out if that flops from blue to red, or if those states have now changed and maybe in the new places in Texas are going to maybe more will vote blue than had before. But the uh, what now up in Oregon? Are you seeing people moving in and out of any cities? Cities moving around or anything? I yeah. So I I've had more calls this year from people moving out of Portland, the metro area of Portland. I think. Some of them are old friends from school. Some of them are not. I just meet them randomly from my lead calls. And so, yes, we're seeing, we've had, Cal California was already er interested in Oregon, and particularly Southern Oregon. And I, I've seen a, a, a great influx of buyers from Cali and Portland, really from, you know, because of the coronavirus. That was the first big push. You know, they wanted out of heavily populated areas. And I think they looked around the map and then Klamath was still affordable. So, they, you know, they chose Klamath as far as it hadn't already boomed. Like Bend, Oregon. Bend, Oregon, the prices are like, out they're out, outrageous they're high uh, but people are still buying them because ben has a lot of attractions but portland as well i think that came from not only not only coronavirus but other things that were happening in that area that people have specifically mentioned you know it's just too much right now we want to we want a slower pace we want to do something different yeah so i don't think it's enough to change the nature of the area that they're coming to yet you know but i've definitely seen it 
Yeah, be a lot of shifts. I mean, I think every state in the country, more people have left big cities and moved to the outskirts, moved to those smaller towns for so many of the same reasons. And yeah, people want want more space. They want a you know, little bit, little bit more time, a little bit less drama. All the different things that come with those big cities compared to the smaller ones. All right, I'm gonna jump into the next article here. We've got this one came out with an Inman on April 26th. It says mortgage forbearances continue slow decline. And so that's saying is people in forbearance, it's going down. The latest Mortgage Broker Association survey shows forbearances dropped for the eighth consecutive week. So eight weeks in a row, less people are in forbearances. After two weeks of large declines, the share of loans in forbearance decreased for the eighth straight week, but only by one basis point. The share of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac forbearances remained the same relative to the prior week at 2.44 so it's interesting in in some areas actual foreclosures are up so foreclosures are up but forbearances are down right now and so the forbearances are the people that they were in default and they worked out a deal with their bank and the bank said all right you don't have to make payments for a while is there much talk of that up up in oregon uh with the different things and what do you think the implications are with you know when forbearance stops well you know it's all connected, right? So you mentioned we're not in a bubble. I don't feel like we're in a bubble either. I think it's a, it's a legitimate supply and demand issue, right? And if coronavirus couldn't stop the housing market, I mean, think about it. This unprecedented virus, the, everybody thought the, the sky was falling. Market got busier where I was at. Busier. Busier than it was the year before. And so then the only way I think it can be cured is if there's an influx of inventory all of a sudden, right? If there's a bunch of inventory. So yes, if, if they came out and said everybody that hasn't been making their mortgages payments now you either need to, you know, get back to even, get current, or we're going to foreclose. I think that could impact the housing market. I, judging by what they're doing with all the stimulus money and all the extra money they continue to give away and extend out, I have a feeling they're going to come up with a way, whether it's through HARP refinancing, like another HARP 4.0 or whatever, you know, a HARP refinance program where, hey, we're going to forgive this forbearance amount of debt. We're going to put it on the back of your loan. We're going to start you over. You're going to pay back some point or, or whatever. I feel like if they don't find a way to forgive people, I think we'll still see foreclosures proceed, but those are the ones that people were going to lose their house anyways, right? Like the legitimate, hey, I lost my job anyways, or I don't like the house anymore, or I, they're going through a life thing where they just can't pay it. So if they all hit the market at once, we'll, we would see a correction, I think, because there'd be more choices, right? There'd be more supply. But I, it's hard to say what's going to, ha- what's going to happen. I think if they continue to make money easily attainable, it's going to devalue our currency. And if they find a way just to let people not make payments and also get funds and all these other things on top of it, it's going to hurt our workforce in general. I mean, that's, that goes beyond real estate, but I think it all does go back to real estate, right? So economy feeds it and it feeds the economy. Real Estate Rockstars, this is a commercial break from our biggest podcast sponsor we have right now, Rent Ready. It can be fun getting a new real estate deal, but it can be tough managing your properties after the fact, especially if you're long distance investing or trying to manage multiple properties by yourself. That's why we're here to tell you about RentReady. RentReady is a property management software that not only makes it easier to manage all your real estate deals from one platform, but they also have the best customer service support in the biz. They're an all-in-one app that lets you easily manage properties, collect rent, list units, screen tenants, sign leases, all from your phone or computer. Imagine all of your real estate doors right in your pocket. How awesome is that? The best part is it's so affordable, one flat price for everything, unlimited properties, tenants and support with a real live human. And I have to add in there, that's a new business model that not a lot of people are doing. There's like this freemium model where people say, hey, you can try this, but as soon as you grow, it's gonna cost you a lot of money. Or they kind of punish you when you get 
too many emails on your list or too many comments. They aren't going to punish you when you grow. They're not going to charge you more when you get 10, 20, 30 rentals. They're going to charge you the same when you have two or three as they will when you have 50 or 60. So you have a nice fixed cost, all software, all in one place. Check it out. Rent Ready. R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com. And if that's not enough, Rent Ready is giving our listeners a special code you can use to get a whole year of Rent Ready for just $54. Use code R-O-C-K-S-T-A-R-50. That's Rockstar50. And sign up for Rent Ready's annual plan at rentready.com. Again, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com with code Rockstar50 to get Rent Ready for only $54. Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, that first slide that we had showed a lot about that. You know, there's a, you know, when inflation is happening, inflation is real right now, and and we're trying to see what that's going to happen. There's another article I didn't pull up, but I had bookmarked it this week that, let's see, four reasons why unemployed workers are not returning to the market. Four things that might explain the labor shortage hitting the reopening. 9.7 million people are actively seeking work, but businesses are reporting major labor shortages. These include jobless benefits disincentivizing people, sorry, to work and work and they have the pandemic health concerns. So then the weekly jobless claims are at a pandemic era low just this past Thursday, but businesses particularly in the restaurant and service industries are struggling to hire. The National Restaurant Association has found that staffing at full full service restaurants remains down 20%. There's 1.1 million job openings in restaurants. Taco Bell is looking to fill thousands of open roles and interviewing can- candidates in mass and parking lots. McDonald's has cited a labor shortage saying some dining rooms may not reopen this year because people don't want to work. And the four reasons it gives unemployment benefits are, are a disincentive. The 1.9 trillion stimulus plan included $300 unemployment benefits through September 6th on top. And when you look at that, so an extra $300 a week, right? So that's an extra $9 an hour, another $8 an hour. Well, a lot of those places where minimum wage is, you know, 10, 12, 14, 15 bucks an hour, you're going to get paid more on unemployment than those entry level jobs for sure. So that's the easy, that's the simple one, like what you managed five, six times. You know, it said we began to see some employees were in a position where they were literally making four or five, sometimes $6, $6 an hour more on unemployment insurance with the pandemic than they were getting when they worked there. So yes, people are not going to go back to work if they get paid more to stay home. Those businesses are going to have to raise prices. They're going to they're going to have to raise how much they pay people, you know, to come work at McDonald's, and then the hamburger at McDonald's is going to cost more. And that's that exact example. Next one says COVID nineteen health concerns. Also, some people don't want to go back to work because they're uh, worried about their health. Number three reason said at home care is still needed. And then number four, this was maybe a bigger one, says workers are holding out for higher wages. To account for financial struggles, large U.S. companies have publicly raised their minimum wages during the past few years. Costco recently raised its minimum wage to $16 an hour. Target and Amazon have raised theirs to $15 an hour, a wage that many lawmakers want, want to become the federal standard. But these big companies raising their wages place difficulties on the workers and service industries. For example, tipped workers like waiters and bartenders could easily lose a, ho- lose a whole day of earnings if bad weather shuts down their dining establishments, which could cause them to switch to different industries. So that's saying that people are probably going to switch industries from some of those. Restaurant workers will go to some of these other industries that are more stable, you know, where they are hiring people more like Costco, Target, Amazon. So maybe, they'll ne- maybe they won't fill those $1 million jobs. Maybe restaurants are going to change the way they run. What do you, what do you think about that? 
Well, you see McDonald's. How many McDonald's we are at have the automated ordering thing now up front? Like you can walk up to a giant iPad. It's like, you know, 40 by 40. Yep. You can place it over there. And then Walmart here, you know, they wanted to demand all the $15 an hour wages. It's actually sad. I went to Walmart. There are no more live. Re- there's no more. There are no more people at registers in the Walmart in our town. They are all automated. Every one of them automated registers. Wow. There used to be like 30 or 40. And they're all automated. And yeah, there's probably three or four employees that stand by so they can help you. But now you're your own checker there and you're your own beggar. And but people are still going there. People are still going there. And I don't I don't know whether it's a car to the horse, you know, if they were going to do it anyway or not. But I don't know if you have a choice. I mean, it. I think small business owners and large business owners are grossly misperceived, right, mm-hmm. as these tyrannical people who don't have families of their own to, or don't have their own charities they're donating to. And people just think they're being selfish, but just like the people that want more wages, you have the other end of that are the people that have their, you know, they have their people they have to provide for too. And uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think we're going to see a change from what we had a year ago. And a change could be good in some respects. Right. But I don't know. I feel like if something morphs in the in the food industry to a more streamlined, easy process, maybe it'll be a good thing. But I'd hate to see, like in Oregon, we we have people that pump our gas, right? Not every state has that. And that was something they did, I think, back in the Great Depression era to create jobs. And I'm glad they've kept it. There are guys, there's, there's, a, there's a dude that's been pumping gas down here for like 15 years. I remember him. And he's been there the whole time. And it, it gives him a job. And he's happy to do it, you know, and it gives him a job. And like, you know, California doesn't have that. And so I don't know. I don't want to see, I want, every, I think everybody should have a living wage and be okay. But, you know, if I, if I bounce around a little bit, if you go back to 09, when everybody was getting the extensions, what cured, what cured the unemployment then? I remember it because I was getting unemployment insurance at the time. I've been on a couple. Obama said, no more extensions. You know, we're done with the unemployment extensions. We're done. No more. Miraculously, everybody went back to work. You know what I mean? And so I, I really think, and it's, I think it's like a human condition, right? If you could, whatever amount of money you make or I make, if we can make the same amount of money or more, but get to spend 100% of the time with our friends or our family and go fishing and stuff, what would we do? You know, I'd, I'm a worker. I'd like to think I'd work, but still, it's, it's a little worrisome. And I feel like there might be some, some effort to motivate people to want to rely on the government funding. And that's my concern, really, right? Like, and then you're just going to give all these people this extra money and then shut it off all at once, yeah. you know? It is, it's, it's, a, it's such a good reminder of, I mean, I remember that time in 2009 and you were like, yes, you were on unemployment and the, and it wasn't that you weren't working and trying at the time. It wasn't as easy to get jobs then as it is now. There are a lot of jobs available now, right now there are job openings, but yes, people won't take them because of, of that stimulus. The way that people will go take them is if they stop the stimulus or they change it or whatever else. But that is really funny. I remember, yeah, he said, yeah, absolutely no more extensions. People went back to work, less people were on unemployment. And now we're going to see that. I love your point too, about that idea that there's, you know, restaurant work, those 1.1 million jobs in restaurants may not get filled. And those people may go to other industries, but in the restaurant industry, there are other ways to do that, like doing those automated checkers and things like that. Now they're going to have to figure out a way to do the checking where you don't have to touch the screen because at McDonald's, you're not allowed to to touch the screen right now. But that's, that's wild that that Walmart is, there's no more checkers anymore. And yeah. And, and what he said about Oregon, 
or, or there's not very many states out there that do this, or may, maybe there are, but in Oregon, you are not allowed to pump your own gas. Someone else right. has to come out and do it for you, which seems crazy uh, where, where I live in Texas or in some other places where uh, I couldn't imagine waiting for somebody to come pump the gas. Nobody would want to, but that is a, a job that's out there. I'm down to, I think, our maybe our last article, and I know that you are getting ready to go. I know you're getting ready to run to another meeting. So I am. Dude, <laughs> the, the best for last right here. So you've got, you've got like a showing appointment that you're running off to. You'll have to say sorry. So uh, I was going to do option for remote closings grow as tech companies get certified. I'm not going to go into that right now. We'll do that. We'll save that one for next week. But that's saying there's 10 big companies out there that are now doing online notarizations. So my last few deals that I've done, I I signed, I sold, I got notarized sitting in my house on, on a Zoom call like this, where I clicked the DocuSign, notary stamped it. I'll, like I'll never have to go to another notary again. When it comes to real estate deals, that's crazy. The one that I thought you would think is the most fun. Next big mortgage industry disruptor, blockchain and NFTs. Title companies saw a surge in 2020, but one economist predicts they may soon become obsolete as blockchain makes its way into the mortgage industry. So the so I know you and I love looking at at Bitcoin, at you know, at at, at some of the recent ones I know you've been doing. We look at stocks up and down and things like that. That so what is are you are you buying a bunch of crypto right now? I'm invested with, you know, I have, I played with it a little bit. Dogecoin, the meme coin. My buddy Casey was telling me to get into it when it was like 0. 0.006. Like not even, maybe 0. 0.004 and I told him it was crazy. If I would have put 10 grand into it then, I'd have a lot more than 10 grand right now. Right. Yeah. So, but, so I've seen that. And Did so Casey I Casey buy it for that? What's that? Did Casey he, buy it? At the yeah, he, he bought some and then he sold and I think he bought some more. And then I was also in BitTorrent. So yes, I'm following the crypto. If you look at all the cryptos and you go back in the last year, they've all had huge gains. Like mm-hmm. all, like not all, most of them. Doge is at 13,000% gain, which is nobody could see that coming. But here's my thing. Who's to say that a coin right now isn't out there waiting to have its 13,000% gain? But there's just no way to know. But yeah, that and that in stocks, I've, it's been a fun year with all that stuff. Um, are you in any crypto right now? Did you buy Bitcoin? The I've only bought really small amounts. I'm, I'm I've been sampling in a bunch of different things. I did a survey on my Instagram the other day when Bitcoin went back down to forty nine, and I said, "Who's buying? Who's selling?" Because it had crashed over a few days, and eighty percent of the survey people said that they were buying at forty nine, not selling. So I think it's interesting. We've seen a lot of articles about blockchain making it into you know doing title insurance through blockchain it makes a lot of sense, right? So if they can do home transactions with blockchain. Then it, the reality is, is it's really title is based on the assumption that the last person cleared title anyway on it. So we just need to look at what's happened since then. And blockchain would be an interesting thing for that. Well, Matt, any final thoughts you want to tell people about the real estate news out there as we close this out? You know, if you're a buyer, don't get discouraged. And if you have an agent, I would recommend trusting them if they have advice. It is a really the temperature of the market is hot. It's a very hot climate and it's very active and there's multiple offers on everything unless you're in a much, unless you're in the top tier of pricing, you're going to be up against other people. So I think, I still believe in the real estate market. I still think it's a great time. I'm actually buying my first rental right now. We're, we just got an escrow for it. I don't think it's going anywhere, but I think if you're buying, I think be patient and be willing to kind of explore what it might mean to get a house now, Right. I don't think it's the time to go in and, and lowball somebody and try to get a discount. But I absolutely do think your agent should explain to you why the house is worth X amount by giving you a CMA or showing you comps, right? 
it, it so trust your agent, but also ask them, you know, what do you really think it's worth? Because it's really easy when you see a sticker price, thinking about being on the car lot, you're just not going to pay full price. I have met so many people in my life. I'm just not going to pay full price. I'm one of them. There's no way. You got to work with me. But if you found out that the, the object you were buying was actually over and above that sticker price, you'd pay more than the sticker price. So that's all I'm going to leave it with is, is it's getting very competitive. It's going to be frustrating. And, uh, you know, lean on your agent. Let them t- be honest with them. Tell them your emotions. Tell them your feelings. And then trust them a little bit. And I think you'll have better result. Yeah. I think I'll, my, my, my final thought that I'll, that I'll keep with that I've been saying a lot over the last few weeks is I think there, I don't know what the market's going to look like in two years or in three years or in four years. Like I said, I don't think we're in a bubble. But I do think that a year from now, with the way the supply and demand is and the way the, cha- the trends are happening you know, with politics and everything else, I think pr- houses are going to be worth more a year from now than they are today. And so we don't know about a whole lot of long stuff, but there's a lot of money to be made on the buy and sell side if you bet on that. I watched, a, I watched a video earlier today where the big statement was a guy said, hey, should I sell my house now so I can rebuy next year or the year after when price goes down? And the, and the answer was the only time price has ever had a crash nationwide was in that like 2007, 2008, 2009. Never, never at any other time has there been a crash throughout the country. And so, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna bet on the fact that it's gonna get more competitive, not less competitive. You know, Matt, thanks for coming on here with me. I posted on my Instagram yesterday, listeners. I said, who wants to join me on the show? You know, a ton of you guys reached out. You sent me videos, but Matt was first, and I thought, what a fun time to be able to get him back on here to talk about. So, Matt, thanks for reaching out, real estate rock stars. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. All right, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents. And we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every punny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate how to get the listing how to negotiate deals you know how to become an investor all sorts of different stuff rebusuniversity.com and if you want to chat with me go find me on instagram if you come find me on instagram you can send me messages tell me what you want to hear tell me what you liked what you didn't like we try to put a bunch of content out there too you can find me in two different places it's at rerockstars.com for our real estate rockstars page or at aaronamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.